Hello and welcome to SAE Tomorrow Today. I am your host, Grayson Brulte. On today's episode, we're absolutely honored to have Ariel Wolf, General Counsel, Self-Driving Coalition for Safer Streets. We had a really interesting conversation around policy as it directly relates to society and autonomous vehicles. Without good policy, autonomous vehicles cannot scale. Without good policy, autonomous vehicles could not have a profound positive impact on society. Without good policy, autonomous vehicles cannot help shore up the supply chain. And without a good policy, autonomous vehicles cannot make our roads safer. It was a really good conversation around the nuances of autonomous vehicle policy. We hope you enjoy. Welcome to the podcast, Ariel. Thank you so much. Great to be here. I'm excited to have you here because the coalition yourself, you're doing great work to enable the future of autonomy. And without really great policy, there is no autonomous future. So thank you to the work that you and the entire coalition are doing to make this a reality for us. Well, thanks to you. Oh, well, you're very welcome. To kick things off, I'd love to know, why was the coalition first founded in 2016? The coalition uh, was founded in 2016. It was founded by five initial leaders of the AV industry, and that was uh, Ford, Lyft, Uber, uh, Google at the time, now Waymo, and Volvo. And it was formed to represent the spectrum of companies uh, that were involved in AV technology, automotive technology and rideshare sectors. It was established at a time when federal and state governments were first examining the legal frameworks needed for AVs. And in that context, uh, at the time, uh, we were looking at California and some federal issues. Later that year, the Obama administration released the first federal autonomous vehicles policy. That was, I think, around October. And so that was the initial impetus. As we went forward from there, there were uh, a number of different issues at the state and federal level that really proved out the concept of the need for a, an industry voice for autonomous vehicles. It's been a great industry voice. I mean, I remember your founding in my previous role, inter interacting and all the wonderful things and bringing everybody to together at the table. And I remember that there was no egos. It was like, okay, how can we all work together to make this work? Now the coalition's expanded. You have autonomous trucking companies involved. The policy landscape has changed. The technology has dramatically improved. How has the coalition adapted to a constantly evolving market and also on the political? Because we've, we've gone through two, uh, three different administrations now different individuals in DOT, it just seems like there's this constant change. How are you able to stay on top of that? The industry and the, the policies and the politics that go along with it have certainly evolved. And now it seems like they, they change even faster. You know, if you think about it, we all recall the initial days, uh, 2016, 2017, it was um, a lot of excitement and um, very little policy objection to a certain extent, of course. You had the federal legislation passing out of uh, the House Committee unanimously and, um, and advancing almost to the finish line. And in the states, there are a certain subset of issues associated with just kind of how do we think about moving deployment forward? Now, there was an inflection point around 2018 and things started to shift. And uh, the coalition, uh, in turn, has grown to be able to address the, the policy issues that go along with where we are today, an industry of at a although still in a nascent stage at a farther level uh, uh, of maturity. And um, that's true, but the state, federal, and local levels even. Um, the coalition has done a little bit, gotten a little bit involved in the international space as well um, with one of its work streams. So, you know, we continue to grow and evolve uh, as the issues do so as well. On the Hill in DC, why do you think the enthusiasm has kind of 
slowed down. I remember in those early days when it came out of, I think it was Commerce Committee in, in the House, there was this raw, raw, raw excitement. I was like, oh, I've never been involved in policy before, and this is this is going to go fast. And then all suddenly, I met the realities of D.C. <laughs> Things don't move fast. What happened to the excitement? Well, it's hard to even imagine a day when there was bipartisan enthusiasm about anything, Grayson. But, um, but uh, the reality is, it's not a diminishing enthusiasm. It's more that there, um, you know, when an issue like that just doesn't quite get to the finish line, it just allows more time for stakeholders to mobilize in different ways. You look at initiatives on the Hill, legislative initiatives, um, there's actually a tremendous amount of enthusiasm for AVs to a certain extent, but there's just, you know, others on the other side. I would also say, and we'll talk about this, the conflation between ADAS and AV, things started to have an impact there as just, again, a mechanism to mobilize folks to ask some additional questions about AVs, maybe some appropriate, maybe some not so well-placed there. And so I think that combination uh, led to a more difficult path, um, more stronger headwinds, but ultimately one that I think, and I hope, uh, we will be able to overcome. When does autonomy become an issue of national pride? We're seeing in the electric vehicle side, there's a national pride that America's going to lead on electric vehicles. When do you think we're going to say it with autonomous vehicles? There, there is that pride that exists. The industry, there's a tremendous amount of investment. There's excitement around the, the technology. But the, you know, as they say in DC, the math has gotten harder, as we just talked about. You know, we think about, it came up in conversation in just even earlier this year in some of the discussions around the um, global competitiveness and uh, the, it was, I guess at one time it was called the Endless Frontier Act and advanced technology development, innovation and, de and deployment uh, generally, the robotics and quantum computing and so forth in that legislation. I think there was some discussion there. I, you know, a lot of it just comes down to exposure to the technology. And that's what the theme we want to hit on. Maximize deployment. We, we have to get there. The more people see the technology, experience it, and understand the benefits, that's where uh, the understanding on and uh, of how important it is to get the technology out. You're 100% correct. And there's two things I want to point out. I have several friends that worked in the Obama administration. And when Google brought the car to DC for those series of demos, they said that was a defining moment that changed their life. They didn't. They understood policy and they went to work for various, uh, actually member companies of yours. And they said it was that moment of going for the ride that changed their life. SAE saw the same thing where years ago we did the SAE demo days and we went around with a self-driving car to different cities. And, and there was some of these reactions. This lady goes, I'm, don't worry, I'm going to haunt you. You're going to put me in this car and I'm never going to come back, but I'm going to haunt you. I said, okay, ma'am, everything's going to be fine. And she comes out and she gives me this giant hug and says, I love you, but I want to tell you one thing. I said, what's that, ma'am? She goes, that ride was smooth. <laughs> this was the most incredible experience I had. So you're spot on once the, the public experiences that technology. It has a profound impact on the way that they look at it. And looking at the technology as a whole, those years they were still in the early experimental development stages and now your members are starting to work on their commercialization plans they're publicly stating them as your members begin to commercialize and evolve how will the coalition change as their needs change well it's going to be uh, we're going to evolve alongside the uh, the industry and as the industry commercializes and we hope more and more and find opportunities to deploy uh, the technology, there are going to be additional issues. And there are many issues that we could be tackling. Really, at any, any given day, we could be doing even more than we're already doing. It's uh, sort of a, 
uh, a constant set of things that that we're looking at. And you know, I'll give you an example. Again, like at the inception, we the the set of issues at the state level, 2017, there was uh, the big the big issue was an anti-competitive bill being pushed in the states that would have affected would have distorted the way in which the industry would have been able to um, test and deploy at the state level. That was the big issue. And then, uh, of course, in subsequent years, we've we've seen other things. There were, you know, PDDs was a big one in 2020, and then and how those intersected. But one thing that I, I mean, look ahead. What's going to be the big issue now that we have the coalition has AV trucking members? Supply chain issues are just, you know, going to increase in in uh, their complexity and really the the pain point for society. That's one where you know we need to look at that and see is how can the coalition uh, try and get involved in a way that pushes the technology as a solution to uh, some problems there. We have a big infrastructure bill um, that may or may not pass as of uh, recording today. What does it mean to have that level of infrastructure investment almost in a generational level? And how does that intersect with uh, the deployment of AVs, which of course the industry looks at as no infrastructure, additional infrastructure elements or, or, or um, pieces or uh, types of investments are necessary that AVs are being designed to be on the roads today, but of course it can be helpful. So how do we look at that? And a number of other issues that, that are always going to be coming up at the various levels of government. That raises the question, do we need an autonomous vehicle policy framework that's na- that's national instead of this patchwork of laws since you're starting to see very publicly the passenger side say, we're going to focus on these markets. The trucking industry has been very vocal. We're going to focus on the Southern states. There hasn't really been any public plans to go to all 50 states. So do we need a national framework at this time? Our members are approaching AV policy in the states and and they're able to test and deploy on public roads and and they work with what they have. Um, And you're seeing a lot of that taking place in a number of the states you mentioned and others. Pennsylvania, I think you mentioned Arizona, Texas and so forth, Florida, of course. So at a basic level, we work with what we have and we push for deployment in that respect. Now, a national framework... At the end of the day, it's a question of what that means and what that looks like. As we believe, the industry, the coalition, we see a national framework as really needing to accomplish three objectives. The first objective is that it has to enhance public trust in the technology. So that means um, the public has to understand what the technology is and how safe it is. And we're very confident in, in the safety of the technology and how that's going to improve even more over time beyond its already extremely high level. You know, the coalition, every member of the coalition committed to participating in NHTSA's uh, AV test initiative to, to provide data and share it with the public, with state law enforcement agencies. And um, it's really transparency is the key there. How do you enhance public trust through transparency? And as we mentioned before, exposure to the technology. So that's fundamental to to a framework. It has to be able to do that. The second piece is going alongside enhancing public trust. A framework has to be focused on maximizing deployment. It just if we only focus on and convincing the public how safe it is, but that we don't have a, a pathway to deployment in the near term, then uh, it seems ill fitted or ill suited. So the framework has to focus on that, and that really is a question of regulatory barriers, regulatory hurdles that uh, that exist. And then finally, the third pillar would be the prom- framework, a national framework really needs to be focused on promoting innovation. And there are a couple of different aspects of that. 
One example might be with respect to AV data. There are proposals that would, some would uh, propose soliciting way too much information for no real purpose that might include confidential business information or CBI that would hinder or inhibit innovation because it would cause concern to individual industry players. So those three pillars, enhancing public trust, maximizing deployment, and promoting innovation should be the objectives of a national framework. And if we had one like that, we would certainly support it. Without public trust, this entire industry collapses. So spot on, numero uno, one that you, that you talked about. And maximizing deployment, it's extremely smart. You're seeing Arizona, Florida, Nevada, Texas. Companies are relocating, opening offices, hiring individuals from the local community to, to work in those things. They're creating jobs. They're having a positive economic impact on those communities where they're operating. When will more states realize and wake up and say, wait a second, Nevada, Florida, Arizona, and Texas, they've all had this incredible positive economic benefit by welcoming these companies. When will other states start that? Well, maybe the first thing is, you know, don't forget Pennsylvania. I think, you know, a recent study found that uh, companies like, I think, Aurora, Argo, Emotional, they're helping to make Pittsburgh, the Pittsburgh region, an economic hub. Uh, referencing uh, over 6,300 jobs and a $10 billion economic impact. The, you know, that alone, if you think about it, uh, just a study there might, might itself be convincing of other states. But of course, w- when you look at Arizona, Texas, and the other states you mentioned, you're seeing similar types of contributions on the ground. And I think, you know, there are other states in, in very degrees of maturity with respect to incorporating AVs. And what we see across the country really is an interest, uh, somewhere between an interest and an excitement. There really there really isn't a place where there's um, antipathy, true, truly as the, as the dominant feature of the policy discussion. There's just different questions that are asked, and some are based on geography or other types of contributions from policymakers. But ultimately, Again, it's between interest and excitement, and it's just a matter of getting the right facts to the right people. Thank you for pointing out Pennsylvania. We have Mark Kopko from PennDOT on, and he explained in great detail what Pennsylvania is doing to welcome this technology. And, and then on previous podcast, we had Karina Ricks from City of Pittsburgh, and she was talking about it. And then we've had we have this funny theme on this podcast. It seems like every second or third guest has a relationship to CMU. Yeah, that's right. And they. they and they talk about the incredible things that are that are being done in Pittsburgh and the whole university system there. And University of Pitt, I haven't forgot about you. You are doing really great things as well. But the common denominator on this podcast is is, is CMU. And I, I keep looking at different state policies, and you, you know this political term, follow the money. And I keep looking at where all the money is going. I'm seeing this giant outpouring from California to Texas, where several of your members have opened up depots in Texas on the autonomous trucking side. And they're all running on the Dallas to Houston route, commercializing it, testing their technology. What are your thoughts on that expansion in, in, in a lot and the industry for autonomous trucking correlating in the Dallas Fort Worth area? This technology is ready for deployment and, and it is being deployed. And the push for commercialization is going to follow the opportunities. Texas has set up a construct, not just on paper, not just in law and regulation as a welcoming place, but really sort of the actions of the state officials themselves to, um, there's there's a whole range of, I guess, what you might call sub-regulatory measures that entities can take in government and officials can take that can provide, make things easier, make things faster, make things more smoother. 
And I think that's what you see in that corridor down there. The corridor is booming. In, in, in Fort Worth, you have Hillwood, which has the largest inland port in the United States. I believe it's one of the top three or four largest inland ports in the world. And staying on the topic of ports, you mentioned this earlier, we have a massive supply chain crunch. There is reports now that the gentleman uh, who is the founder of LOL Dolls that the little kids are going crazy for now, he lives in Malibu. And he said he was looking out. There's a big interview. I think it was in Bloomberg or CNBC. And he's looking out in the ocean 80 miles up the cargo ships trying to get into the port of LA and the port of Long Beach because, as your members know, there's not enough trucks. When will we start seeing autonomous trucks go into the port, help the supply chain, because it'll have a positive benefit on consumers when it says, okay, your box of Cheerios is 25 cents less. Your roll of toilet paper is a dollar less. That's going to have a meaningful positive impact in the United States. When does Polish wake up and say autonomous trucking is good for the economy. Autonomous trucking will help the American consumer. Yeah, I mean, it's really the question of the day. I mean, I tend to think that right now, the COVID issues, essentially, because they dominate so many different uh, policy discussions, consumers, Americans, society really hasn't, while they've heard about supply chain issues, it's chalked up to to the health, uh, the epidemic. And while that certainly is a huge factor, uh, it's not the sole factor, and there will, you know, as we can as we continue to move past the epidemic, it will become crystal clear at some point, and I think that point is pretty soon to most people here that we have a critical supply chain problem. I mean, it's not just. I mean, we tried to go get it, uh, re up our, uh, renew our lease on our minivan. We were successful, but even the you know the the uh, chip shortage is one piece of it. But this is a general issue, and it does involve um, ultimately come down to trucks and the movement of goods. Um, one one other client was talking about it. They ordered a, a bed frame, and we're told uh, it would come in seven months, right? And that's just not what our typical experience, experience has been to date. The question was why. The company said, well, we can't get any drivers to drive the wood from the, the mill to our factory and then get from there to our assembly plant and then et cetera. And... So ultimately, this is this is a problem that, that if it hasn't already, it will be landing on the desk of policymakers across the country. And I think at that point, you know, I'm an, a DC a DC guy, and I open the mail uh, in my time for for members in Congress. They'll start getting the letters and the emails and the phone calls. What's going on? Prices are expected to increase by thirty percent by next year, uh, solely due to supply chain issues. And within two years surface freight shipping is going to be increasing by 40%. So, you know, do the math there. It's a perfect storm uh, combined with shortages of drivers and other types of factors in the supply chain. It's a big problem. And then you have a, an industry that has technology that can provide a, a partial, a helpful type of solution or contribution to this issue. And I think uh, the public will connect the dots there. Inflation is a tax. There's there's no way around it. Inflation is a tax. It's funny you mentioned the bed frame. I, I talked to a buddy of mine here in Florida, and he moved into a new house. He said, I've been sleeping on the floor for three months. I said, oh, that's not comfortable. He said, no, I just can't get the bed frame. And, and if you start, you, you have a, a friend, I have a friend, same thing. You're right. When are we going to see the letters come say, you know what? Because of the policies, I'm getting taxed. I can't do this. I can't do that. I mean, just look at the oil markets or the natural gas market. This stuff is just runaway inflation. And it seems that here's a clear-cut solution. 
do the letters start coming sooner rather than later since this is affecting the entire United States economy and just not one segment of the economy? I think so. I I think it's, it's I mean, there's enough stories, front page stories talking about this stuff. And you know, it might be the kicker. People don't get their Christmas toys this winter. Good luck if you try and order it now for some of that stuff. So I think that's a big part of it. You know, the other part is just dispensing with some of the mythology around the deployment of the technology. I mean, a DOT's own studies have shown that the deployment of uh, aut- autonomous long-haul trucks will grow the U.S. economy, create jobs, increase American competitiveness. This is a U.S. DOT study and job creation across every sector of the economy just because of the efficiencies that are achieved. Raising annual earnings for U.S. workers by $200. This is, again, I, I don't want to beat a dead horse here. It, it's not an industry-funded study. It's a U.S. DOT macroeconomic study. Increased GDP by more than $68 billion over 30 years. And a number of other points from that study. This is uh, by the, the Volpe Center just this year. So I think you combine that with the ability to solve a problem. That's about a positive growth. And then you have the ability to solve a problem that's acute right uh, right now. I think smart people uh, across this nation will look at that and say, you know, that's that's where we need to go. And, and we'll be right there along with uh, everyone, the coalition, with our voice, trying to push for that solution to be deployed. The facts say it all. Thank you for bringing those facts out, and thank you for emphasizing that. It's a U.S. DOT, United States Department of Transportation. It was not a think tank. It was the United States Department of Transportation. So thank you for pointing pointing those facts out. You mentioned education. We're, we're seeing a lot of misconceptions in the marketplace around what is an autonomous vehicle? What is a vehicle with ADAS, and you're seeing that even on the DC level, there's members of, of Congress that, for lack of a better term, don't truly fully understand the differences. What is the best way to, to educate lawmakers where I explained where those two friends of mine that worked in the Obama administration went for that ride and it changed their life? What can be done to educate lawmakers that this is an, an ADAS system this is an autonomous vehicle. And no, uh, sir, ma'am, they're not the same technology. Again, it's it's one of the central issues of the day here. And I would just start by reiterating that, but ev- with even more emphasis. It, it is simple. ADAS is not AV. This is just one of those core things that we emphasize with lawmakers and journalists and stakeholders when we're talking to them. And of course, both technologies have a potential to bring safety and convenience improvements, but they're different business models or different technology. They target different customers, use patterns, uh, user experience, and and just the functionality is, is different. And so just starting with, it's about the emphasis. It's about the, cl- the clear delineation between those two technologies, which you know may or may not have been the case over the years. Some were talking uh, in terms of AV and ADAS as being different. But overall, the conversation, you know, looked at the levels of automation and s- somewhere something got muddled. We need to get back to the fundamentals as these being totally different technologies. I remember hearing one one point, it, it, it's like saying, well, if I if I keep if I keep jumping, maybe I'll, uh, I'll be able to fly. Uh, you know, it, it's just it's not the same exercise. Um, so that's really the fundamental thing we have to be doing and educating. And, and it's one of the key things is just to be on the ground and uh, and the old shoe leather that you got to get out there, you got to message it, you got to talk to people across all those different dimensions. And um, in addition to, you know, bigger pushes. 
How about the public? I I speak to members of the public, tell them I do. Oh, you want a self-driving car, don't you? No, there's no such thing you can't buy one today. No, no, no. My friend has one. I'm telling you, you can. And there's this genuine confusion. What can be done to educate the public? Because if the public doesn't truly understand the difference between ADAS and autonomy, there could be deadly consequences where they're over-reliance on the ADAS thinking that it is autonomy. Yeah, I mean, members of my family who shall remain nameless, who um, have certain electric vehicles, um, like to uh, point out that hey, I got this self-driving car. And, um, it maybe it's maybe it's deliberate to to torment me. I, I'm not sure. It might be my penance for um, everyone in my family being a, a physician, and I chose to go into the law. Uh, that's okay if that's what it is. That maybe that's what I deserve. But um, and I, every time I have to point out, nope, no, that's not that's not what you have. So with the public, I think there's a lot of work to be done. You know, it does, I think they're related, but it does start with the um, policymaker conversations, stakeholders, journalists, and, and, and all of that. And then as we talked about already, kind of exposure to the technology. The sooner we can, it, it seems a little bit circular or tautological in a sense, but the more we can deploy, the more the public will, will accept it and, and understand its benefits. And then the more that happens, the more there'll be deployment. And we have enough, I, I think, you know, there's a good amount of deployment opportunities right now that we just need to keep pushing and scaling that. And if the federal government then reacts in turn, you know, we'll, we'll be uh, in good shape. One of the best markets for public exposure is going to be Las Vegas. You're going to Las Vegas for an experience. Emotional has a fleet that they're scaling up there. Zooks has a fleet they're scaling up there. To me, that seems like an incredible opportunity to ride in a real self-driving car to go home and say, no, you don't have one. I rode in one in Las Vegas. This is a real self-driving car. Because to me, it seems that if we don't get over that hurdle as an industry, there's going to be really bad long-term negative consequences. What are your thoughts on what some of those consequences could be and what that negative impact on the industry as a whole could be? So first and foremost, it becomes a safety issue. And that's why there's a there's an urgency. It's, there's a criticality associated with making sure we, we are clear about the differences between these technologies and not conflating them. Because we already are seeing if individuals, owners of ADAS equipped vehicles, even advanced ADAS, whatever you want to call it, think that that's quote self-drive, then they can get hurt or killed. And um, because they'll, you know, won't be using it in that, in the right form or fashion. That's, I mean, just at a basic level, that's the that's the concern. It's the urgency. The flip side of that is it's going to inhibit and drive down AV deployment because the reverse could also be true. You know, AVs could be thought of as being conflated in some way as as ADAS equipped vehicles, and then the public might look at the failures in some respects of ADAS systems, which many of which are fantastic, phenomenal. They're contributing to crash avoidance and all of that. But so the, the issues that have been identified being associated with AVs. That would then drive down deployment because of, let's say, concerns that are not well-placed. And then you lose out the benefits there. And quite literally, people die the longer AVs are not deployed because of the human error factor. So in both directions, the conflation uh, leads to physical harm. And then it can furthermore lead to complete mistrust in the technology, which will continue distracted driving, which is just horrendous epidemic in this country that's really not spoken about enough there you've got individuals driving with their phone in their face you've got individuals not paying attention to the road it's kind of like it, like there's a lot of individuals that get in the vehicle oh this is a luxury 
It's not a luxury. My father said this, and and I talked to uh, Dr. Mark Rose kind of on a previous podcast about this, is that it's a deadly weapon. You have to treat it like a deadly weapon. And a lot of individuals can't wrap their heads around it. That's a big piece of metal going down the road at a high speed. Be in charge. Don't be stupid. Pay attention when you drive. As, as we look towards 2022, the technology is going to continue to advance. Your members are going to continue to advance their technology. They're going to further move along the road to commercialization. What are the priorities for the coalition as you look towards an upcoming year? The next couple of months and heading into next year, um, we've got a number of priorities that we're focused on. At, at a very high level, I think not surprisingly, we're going to keep focusing on where can we uh, deploy this technology. We say it's about maximizing the safe deployment, and safety is the number one priority that the technology will bring about safety. We want to maximize deployment because it will bring safety to those communities uh, that it's deployed. But more specifically, you know, there's discussion that there may be federal legislation. There was an offer from Senator Cantwell and, and um, others to work in good faith to try and get AV legislation. We are engaged there to understand what, what those discussions could lead to. At the state level, there's a, actually an AV framework being formed in New England um, that we're plugging into. It's an area that we haven't thought of as being a hotspot for AVs, but we certainly want to see what kind of opportunities might be uh, forming there. Certainly the I-10 corridor uh, and looking at ways to continue to build on that and success there, uh, looking at California and others, other places. And then what we just noted, we have to, our you know, huge priorities, we have to focus on the distinction and, and the end of the conflation between ADAS and AVs. It's just a core, a core piece uh, that something we got to disentangle those technologies uh, in the eyes of the public. It, democracy is beautiful when you see states take leads. There, you know, there's 50 states, there's 50 homes of innovation for policy, and it's really wonderful to see that states are, are, are living through democracy and saying, you know what, we're going to try and do something on the, the local level that's going to be positive. New England will be a really interesting market for autonomous vehicles. I grew up in New England, and there's a lot of opportunities there. You have all the university systems that are that are there. You have the tourism. You have all the... American heritage and, and incredible tourism sites that you can learn about America there as well. So go New England on autonomy. Let's hope that you get the framework together and, and put autonomous vehicles in New England because they'll do really great for the local communities there. And Ariel, as we look to wrap up this insightful conversation, what would you like our listeners to take away with them? This is about enhancing the safety of society, of, of the public. It's promoting safety Every discussion about AVs needs to be hyper-focused on uh, the idea and the promise of reducing traffic fatalities and injuries. It's, it's always been, it's, it's been fundamental to the conversation. And I would say so much so that sometimes you talk to stakeholders or others, and they've heard it so many times that it, we get desensitized to it. But it's so important to not get desensitized to what you described as the epidemic that's on our roadways. We, we should not be looking at that as an acceptable baseline. And that pe people, we've just come to accept. That's just, well, you know, another accident. We read another story in the paper about um, some terrible accident that uh, led to a number of deaths. And, you know, it's been going on for so long that we accept, we cannot accept that. We have to look at AV technology as finally uh, a, a cure 
for that um, epidemic. Maybe not a, a, a total cure, but we have to do everything in our power. So that's that's the first. We have to reset, push the push the button on reset, and get to a place where people are no longer desensitized to that and understand the promise of AVs on safety. We know we've heard about the promise and mobility. I think with increasing deployment, that's um, uh, something that we're starting to see. And you mentioned Las Vegas. There are other places, food deserts, the ability of driverless delivery to accomplish some of those things. But I would circle back to uh, supply chain as well. When the public thinks about AVs and AV technology, they may not think of the solutions that can come and, and provide when they go to the store. Maybe prices don't increase as much, or maybe they hopefully one day can be reduced or, in, or restrain inflation. Those are the kinds of things that it's our mission to hope to focus on policymakers being able to understand those benefits and ultimately the public as well so that we can continue America's leadership in this technology and remain not just globally competitive, but a global leader uh, for the future of transportation. With the efforts of your coalition and your members, there's no doubt that America will continue to lead on innovation because autonomy is good for society. Autonomy will lead to safer roads and autonomy will shore up the supply chain. It will have a positive impact on the U.S. economy. Because today is tomorrow, tomorrow is today, and the future is autonomous. Ariel, thank you so much for coming on the SAE Tomorrow Today podcast. It's a great honor. Thanks so much. Thank you for listening to SAE Tomorrow Today. If you've enjoyed this episode and would like to hear more, please kindly rate, review, and let us know what topics you'd like for us to explore next. Tune in next week when Henry L. Greenwich fellow and resident at the NYU McSilver Institute joins us to discuss the future of mobility in cities and the role community engagement and collaboration has in ensuring historically underserved groups are able to tackle and take advantage of incoming changes in mobility. SAE International makes no representations as to the accuracy of the information presented in this podcast. The information and opinions are for general information only. SAE International does not endorse, approve, recommend, or certify any information, product, process, service, or organization presented or mentioned in this podcast.